Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Joshua 4. And while you're turning there, I just, um, when it said, and now let's worship, I, I, I know this, and you do too, we, we've already worshiped. We've already been led in worship. And I pray the Holy Spirit has gone before us, so we are in the, in the middle of worship. And it prepares us, not that you hear from me, but prayerfully, it prepares us to hear from the Word of God, the living Word of God that does not return void. But uh, as I listened to Chantel in RBC3, I, I worked in the yard some yesterday, I guess, to, to try to alleviate guilt of not doing maybe as much as I should have while my wife was away doing uh, work in Tuscaloosa. So I really hit it hard yesterday with chainsaw, pole saw, uh, weed eater, uh, edger, uh, lawnmower. I had some help with my boys. They helped too. But uh, I don't know if Lance is in here now, but I believe I need to go to the balancing gate uh, thing uh, after just to just to shore up some things as I'm walking today. And then with Steve Gaines, can you believe it? A week from tomorrow night, we'll begin our awesome August. And I told the first service that I I have the, the opportunity and really the privilege of, of picking up many of our speakers at the airport. And I remember last year, and I told Monica this right after it happened, I, I went and picked Dr. Steve Gaines up. He's, you know, pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, one of the, the premier uh, strong churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, of, a convention of churches. And so we're driving back from the airport, and we're at the intersection where Napierfield and Montgomery Highway come. It's red light. And just got the, the radio playing low, and we're in conversation. And then he looks over and said, hey, do you mind if I turn that up? Well, what are you going to say? No, I'd rather you not touch my radio. It's, it's, it's a visiting preacher, uh, Dr. Gaines. And I said, well, sure. And he turned it up, and it just wasn't like on 10 or 12. It's 25. And he turned it up as Graves to Gardens. And he starts singing like nobody's business. He wasn't just like singing along. He was leading the song in the truck. And, and really, I think that's when my subwoofer broke, because um, I, I now it rattles some, and that's when it happened, I believe, last year. I hadn't put that together until just now. But anyway, he's just going at it. And out of his peripheral, he sees a guy in the vehicle next to us. And the guy's watching it, because he's animated. Pastor Gaines is not just singing. He's, like, acting it out. And he's, I mean, it was worshipful. So he rolled down the window and motioned for the guy to roll down his and he did. He said, we're just jamming for Jesus. Do you know him? And the guy went like that and rolled his window back up, and pastor rolled his back and said, all right, let's go. And I said, okie doke. And that's the way it's going to roll. And so it reminded me of that, and those things kind of clicked in my mind this morning on what I want to share with you, what God has spoken to my heart about memorials. It reminds us of things and how we maintain them. This time last week, we were, I think we were on the road by now. Yes, almost. We were still at IHOP outside of D.C. But I had the uh, privilege and joy of driving the minibus some along with some other folks and, and going on this trip with our students, the Student Leadership 201. Uh, SLU 101 is in Orlando, 201 is in D.C., 301 is in London and Normandy and Europe, and then 401 is in Jerusalem. So we were at 201, and... Uh, we were busy, but it was all good. But the final few days, we were able to see some sites. And, of course, you know in D.C., uh, a lot of those sites are memorials. You had the Lincoln Memorial, the Vietnam War Memorial, the Korean War Memorial, the World War II Memorial, Washington Monument, and other statues uh, about the place. 
But last Sunday morning, uh, we were first at Arlington Cemetery. We, we were one of the first groups to go in. And as we walked across that vast area and see all those white tombstones, who all has been to Arlington Cemetery? It, it's, 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 it's overwhelming in a way. You see all these people, men and women, uh, most of them, there's some family members there, but most of them uh, either died in the service of our country or passed away after their service to our country. And you're reading all these things, and it is a bit overwhelming. And then you become, you go to the memorial at, that we know as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And then all you can hear there is maybe the wind blowing, some birds, maybe a distant airplane, but the clicking of those soldiers' heels when they come together as they stand guard, as they do 24-7, as they stand guard marching to and from that tomb. And they have signs that, that really encourage you, you know, do not talk and be quiet. Our, our group, especially our kids, you'd be so proud of them. They're, you didn't have to have signs. As soon as you enter those grounds, something was, you could sense it. And it was after we went to the tomb of an unknown soldier and walking back, I, I know without a doubt God just spoke to my heart because, you know, you, you can't help but feel thankful and blessed that these men and women really gave the ultimate sacrifice for the freedom that I'm enjoying just by walking in that place. But then God spoke to my heart. How many of these died without Christ? They died for our country. And we honor them, but eternally speaking, how many died without Christ? They gave the sacrifice, but they never knew the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. So with that in mind, I want us to look together and stand with me, if you would, and we will read together out of chapter 4 of Joshua, verses 19 through 24, and the... Um, I told the guys 1 through 24, and they've worked hard to try to find 19 through 24, so you can look along on the screens. But if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, either by book or by screen, turn there, and your translation will sound something like mine, I'm sure. Verses 19 through 24. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of their first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken, they being the twelve men he had selected from God, telling him what to do. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children... Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Verse 24. This is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. And Father, it is with that that I ask now, God, that you speak to our hearts in a new and fresh way. 
Lord, I thank you that it can be a reminder of maybe something we've heard or been taught in the past. But God, I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you mute anything that has its origin within me and amplify everything that has its origin within your throne and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that that moves us not only to hear, but to do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12 reads like this. Watch yourself lest you forget. So in relation to what we've just read there in 4 verse 24, uh, I'm reminded of the warning Moses gave to all of Israel just before they entered the promised land. And this is the warning, I believe, church, God wants us to hear today as well. You know how quickly our memories fade. And quite honestly, it has nothing to do with age. How quickly we tend to forget. And this is particularly true when everything seems to be going our way. So Moses is spelling out for Israel what we forget and why. But more accurately, the what is who. And that's God himself. Because Deuteronomy 6.12 says this in full, full, full transcript here. Watch yourself lest you forget the Lord. And even more specifically, Moses warned Israel to remember that it was the Lord that brought them out of Egypt. And we know this, church. You, you've, you've read this before, but I just want to remind you, it was the Lord who would bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. It was the Lord who would make them victorious over their enemies. It was the Lord who would provide them with herds and flocks and silver and gold. In other words, God was the origin of it all. It had nothing to do with their skill, their talent, or whatever they conjured up themselves. It was all God. And I believe that's the warning that Moses is saying, watch yourself. In other words, take inventory of yourself, lest you forget these things. And as often with the case as it is with us, the children of Israel, their temptation would be to become proud and to say, we did this ourselves. Have you ever been there? Well, I mean, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're on a roll. I mean, when you know you've done something good and you, you've, there's been something accomplished. It's, it's, it's in our nature to say, man, you know, that was some hard work, but we made it through it. We did that. And that's not evil in and of itself, but if we're not careful, lest we forget it's all the Lord. Now, I'm not saying be disingenuous and have church speak. Oh, God did it all, and, and you, you're saying that because you know it's just the right thing to say. But you say it with no conviction and no passion. You're just giving lip service, lest we forget. So we need to watch ourselves. So God taught the children of Israel many important truths on their journey from Egypt to Canaan. But none more important, I think, than what is being taught here in chapter 4 and the lessons surrounding the memorial stones. Whether or not the children of Israel took this lesson to heart, well, in many respects, it determined their destiny as a nation. God had just worked another great miracle. In chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, Scripture says, The waters of the Jordan rose up, quote, in a heap while all Israel crossed on dry ground. Miraculously, when the priests stepped into the river, 
carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the rushing waters suddenly were cut off. Now, can just envision this for a moment. This water, this river, is, it's not as wide, as say, as the Mississippi. But it, from what we know, in this time of year, it was in flood stage. And there was a pretty strong current that, that was coming down from the melting snow and then all the, all the rains, and so it was a pretty strong current. So you can imagine, there's not a sheet of plastic glass, there's not a dam, the water's just there. God's hand, as determined by the obedience of Joshua as he led the priests to stand in the water with the Ark of the Covenant, it was God himself holding the water. Now, if you've ever been whitewater rafting or done anything near a rushing river, there's noise involved, right? So much so that sometimes you can't hear yourself think. Can you imagine this entire river being held up and the water just boiling up behind it and not a drop getting by? And not only that, it's not moist, it's not muddy, it's dry ground. So that would tend to get your attention, would it not? This miracle had the attention of those that it was being performed for. So over 40 years earlier, when the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea, they left the bondage of Egypt. Now they're going to the freedom of Canaan. Now for them to enjoy this freedom, they were required to live up to some very specific conditions that had been outlined by God. So but this is not in your outline, but the first takeaway that I want us to look at is trust God with all your hearts. So almost as a preface to what we're talking about, it has to be foundational to understand maybe these, these three observations as we exegete this scripture together. First of all, we must trust God with all your heart. It's the greatest commandment, is it not? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is the great commandment. Before the priest ever stepped foot into the Jordan River, God had given Joshua some general instructions regarding what should happen once they crossed the river. These 12 men were selected, chapter 3, verse 12, to carry out the rest of God's plan. So God had told Joshua what to do previously. Now keep that in mind because here's the truth of it. Isn't this the way that God usually works? He doesn't reveal, listen to me, he doesn't reveal all of his will at one time. I mean, who in here, you don't have to show a hands. You, you, you said, if you could just give me a bigger picture, Lord, I know I could follow you with more passion. Now, you may not admit that because we're in church on Sunday morning, but in your private lives, do, do you ever get, and Lord understands, do you ever feel a little frustrated because you have such a small picture of maybe what you feel like you need to do? In other words, maybe I need to investigate, I need to gather some more information, and let's, let's, let's map out step three and four. I'm going to stay in step one, but I would like to know what step two, three, and four is. I mean, I hope I'm not the only one who struggles with that sometimes. I think that's just the way that, that humanly we, we are since the fall. We want to know more information, so therefore we can maybe be a little bit more controlled or if we want to cloak it in spirituality, I'll, I'll know how to get, follow God more closely. But God does not work that way. Listen, as we respond to the light we've been given, don't miss this. As we respond to the light we've been given, He, that being God, adds more light and it clears the path ahead of us. Isn't that what Scripture says the Bible is? It is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So God's living word, when He gives us Whatever he allows us to have, 
When we respond to that, it's then he gives us more light and clears our path in front of him. Our responsibility, another, let's write this down. Do you know what our responsibility is? It's not to investigate. It's not to discover. It's not necessarily to find all the I's and cross all the T's. Our responsibility is to trust him. That's what you and I are responsible to do. And trust him with all of our hearts. And to avoid leaning on our own understanding. And if we acknowledge him in all of our ways, what? Then God will make our paths straight. That's Proverbs chapter 3. This is exactly what is happening here in the story with the children of Israel. These 12 men were asked to go back to the center of the riverbed, and we'll unload that in a minute, where the priests were still standing holding the ark. Each man was to pick up a large rock or stone from the middle of the Jordan and carry it to the side. So let's read that in chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Joshua chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. And the command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan. Now, so he, he's got these other 12. The, the priest holding the ark are still there, so they're going back and, and getting these things. Go back and, and get these stones and go across... Verse 4, so Joshua summoned the 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and said to them, Go across to the ark of the Lord, your God, in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone unto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes. Now, so the first point here, and the, or the first observation, if you would, in, 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 in maintaining these memorials, in understanding when the foundation that we trust God with all of our hearts, here's the, here's the first observation that, that I have in, as far as this scripture is concerned, is to remind us of the past. To remind us of the past. So this immediate past, these, these 12 men, if you, if you can just get this in your mind, they've crossed, they've heard all this noise from that water boiling up, they've made it to the other side. Can you imagine what emotion they felt? I mean, what would you feel? Here's what I would feel. Man, I knew it was holding up, and I knew it was on dry ground, but I like it a lot better here than back there. I mean, do, do, does anyone in here like comfort? Do you like security? Do you pine for it? Well, sure we do. So they made it to the other side. We've made it. So, you know, they're not, they're, let's stand here in the middle and just celebrate right here in the middle. No, the goal is to get over there. And so they had made it. Now, all of a sudden, Joshua, their leader, says, hey, here's what I need you to do. Go back and gather 12 stones. Now, I'm not saying they said this, but I'm, I'm just, give me some freedom here. I'm just wondering if, if there was a couple of them say, go where? Come again? We just got back from, you know, and here's one maybe some like one like me, a smart like one says, why didn't you tell us that when we was crossing? I, I would have picked up one on the way instead of having to go back now. Can you, can you see where maybe some church folk would do that? They would say, well, yeah, I'll do it, but why didn't you tell me this while I go? Instead of just saying, oh, okay, well, I'll do it. Listen, you have to trust God with all your heart. And Joshua had been laid in front of them as the leader. So they went back to the middle of the Jordan. Here's the bottom line. Whatever anxiety or whatever fear or feeling they had, these men obeyed. 
They did not, don't miss this, they did not allow whatever fear they may have felt to dominate them or control them. Does that speak to any of us in the past two years? Or anything that's happening right now, it doesn't have to be with the past two years. Fear has at its core to dominate. These men obeyed, so therefore they were defeating the fear in their obedience. And when you defeat fear by obedience, it cannot dominate you. So these men, by obeying, they defeated that fear and lived fearlessly in their faith to go back, and they were not controlled by what they were scared of. By faith, listen, don't miss, by faith they re-entered the riverbed. And that's in verse 8. So look with me if you would. They took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of tribes of the son of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Now, I'm convinced there's another reason why these men obeyed God so quickly. If you just want to jot this down under to remind us of the past, I'll go with you. That's the thing that just popped in my mind. I'll go with you. Joshua not only issued God's order, but he personally joined the men there. That's a great takeaway for parents, for grandparents, for uncles, for aunts, for the believer in the room today. When we are sharing the truth of a memorial, when we're maintaining the remembrance of a memorial, it is good to show that we're all in. We're just not dictating academia we're putting leather to that path, and we're doing it ourselves. Joshua was involved, and in a ranger, this was a strange mission to go back to the riverbed. I mean, you think about it. Should the Jordan suddenly return to normal? I mean, it's, it's going to wipe out those priests. It's going to wipe out those 12 men, and it's going to wipe out Joshua. And I can't help but say, you know, if it returned to normal, God help us for wanting to get back to normal. And what we've been through the past two years, I pray God has delivered us from normality. We as believers, if you profess Christ in this room today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are to be the antithesis of normal. You're to be abnormal. You're to be countercultural. So God help us if we ever say, I just want things to get back to normal. Turn it upside down more, Lord. Let you be glorified, and we'll stick through it. I'll be obedient, and whatever's scaring me, I'll know you'll be with me. And it's based on because I trust you more than anything. So, big church, I'm challenging you. Don't pray for normality. Don't pray things get back the way they used to be. God help us. Let God move us to new things in abnormal ways. That way the world will see some light and see some salt. Okay, now I'll get back on track. So this, this is going on. And together with their leader, these men courageously tackled the task. But I want you to notice in verse 9. Let's read that together. Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. The stones are there to this day. Now, envision it again. That's the best way I can try to understand and, and really immerse myself in what's going on. All right, so you got it in your mind? The water's boiling up. I don't know why I'm going to the left. I just do. That's where water boils up. So the water's boiling up. Right, and the priests are there holding the Ark of the Covenant. They're standing on dry ground. Everybody's going across. I mean, 
thousands upon thousands, not just the 40,000 warriors, they were the first to get across, but now you have everybody else in the nation crossing. It's taking all day, if not longer. So they're on the other side. Now the command is given, hey guys, you dozen, go back and get some boulders. Not a rock that you can skip across the river, but grab up a big one and put it on your shoulder. They go because Joshua's there too. Now all of a sudden they see Joshua taking rocks and stones from the bank and putting it back into the riverbed. Can you imagine what they're thinking? What's he up to? He just told us, right, to get 12 and take out. Now he's taking 12 in. Now listen, I've searched and I've studied and I found it. And nowhere that I found was Joshua commanded to do this. Do you know why he did it? Here's a great takeaway. In that moment of obedience, he spontaneously worshipped. It's almost like he couldn't help himself. He is seeing the faithfulness of God in a miraculous way. And he's witnessing it. And then he sees these men follow him by their obedience. They're following God, but they're looking at Joshua. And he is caught up in the moment. And he can't help himself but to worship. And he starts putting 12 stones there. Here's the takeaway. In the middle of doing things, whether it be at work tomorrow, at home Tuesday night, at church, hopefully, prayerfully, Wednesday when you come to the pastor's Bible study led by the assistant pastor, anywhere you are, in that moment, if it's done in the spirit of the living God, each and every one of us can spontaneously worship. Yes, I love corporate worship, but we can worship as God leads and just that when we are obedient in doing the things. And that's what Joshua is doing. And it says they're there to this day. Now, I, I looked and looked and looked, and I, I read a, a commentary by a guy named Gene Getz, so no plagiarism here. Uh, I'm giving credit where credit's due. So Gene Getz uh, said this. Some of you will know that. Uh, so Gene Getz said this, that it does not mean that the stones are still stacked in the middle of the Jordan River to our present day. He goes on to say, if you look, you won't find them. Rather, at the time Joshua recorded the event, the stone still stood as a tribute to God's power. Dr. Getz finishes with this thought. When the water subsided, they will become visible. And as the waters rose and fell over the next several years, the stones would stand as a memorial to God's love and care for Israel. Okay, I'm just making sure I'm not getting ready to pass out. There's some lights change up here. Not, okay, just, I'm just checking. I just... You know, I'm holding this microphone. I feel blood leaving my hand and stuff. I'm just making that I'm not about to fall out here. If I do, somebody come, Bradley, just catch me before I hit the ground. I'm, I, don't, I can't believe it. I thought something was happening to me. I really, honestly, honest to goodness, I thought I'm about to go out. But uh, I'm glad it's the lights. Stop it. Y'all shaking me up. Where were we? Okay. So. At this time, Joshua recorded this event. The stones were standing as a tribute to God. They were there as a memorial. So listen, to maintain this fearless faith, we must have memorials to remind us of the great things God has done. Listen, we cannot live in the past. We just cannot do that. But as well, we cannot forget past victories Memorials cause us to remember. 
Now, Jesus knew the importance of the memorials. He says it and gives us this principle in Luke chapter 22. Write this down in the margin of your outline. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Here's what the Lord told us. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, quote, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now listen, because our faith, not a matter of if, but when, because our faith can weaken and falter, we need to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not just when we gather to have communion, which I love and which we should do, and on a consistent basis, but I'm talking about we need to remind ourselves of the truth of the Lord's Supper because it reminds us of God's love for us and it should motivate us toward fearless living. When times become discouraging and even scary, we can, like the Israelites, see the memorial stones in our lives and remember the power and faithfulness of God. By the way, this is just a side note. I found it interesting that contrary to today's miracle-working evangelists or television personalities, none of the people through whom God performed miracles profited financially or had multi-million-dollar ministries because of their miracles. That's just a thought of mine, so we'll get back on track here. So this truth in Matthew 23, 12, as we, as we just kind of wrap up this this first observation that I believe God gave me. For the rest of Joshua's life, they stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses. That's for verse 14 of chapter 4. And by the way, here before I get to that, man's affirmation, I've written this down from many years ago, so it's good, and I want to share it with you. Man's affirmation should come only after the Lord's exaltation. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? Before any attaboy, make sure the Lord has exalted. Man's affirmation should come only after the Lord's exaltation. Now, Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So not only do we need to have memorials to remind us of the past, but also, here's an observation in verses 15 through 18. Memorials need to encourage us in the present. So after everyone had, had crossed, let's read verses 15 through 18, chapter 4. So the Lord told Joshua, command the priest who carry the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, came up from the Jordan. When the priest carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan... And their feet stepped out on solid ground. The waters of the Jordan resumed their course, flowing over all the banks as before. Can you imagine their celebration at that moment? There's, I mean, they're hooping and hollering. And then there's silence. And then they see something getting back to the way it used to be. Here's just a thought the Lord gave me. Yesterday, matter of fact. Don't cease to celebrate. When we cease to celebrate and we become silent, is then normality begin, begins to reign again. 
So don't cease to celebrate. Celebrate God's goodness. Place that memorial in your heart of when God saved you, of how God is sanctifying you, of how you will know that you have a home in glory. All those things in our Christian lives and everything that's in between never cease to celebrate, no matter the circumstance. Because when you cease to celebrate, silence follows, and when there's silence, there comes normality. So everyone has crossed over, and the Lord tells Joshua to tell the priest what they've done. Now imagine the scene. Watching this raging river cover their path, it, it, it tells me one thing. And write this down under Encourage the President. It tells them there's no going back. There's no going back. They've left the bodies of their parents, the graves of their grandparents, and Moses... Israel's great leader and lawgiver, they left all that in the desert. There's no going back. Even though, listen, even though Moses was dead, God was not. And they must not turn back. Now, this principle Jesus teaches us from Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Write that down. I'll read it for you. You don't have to turn there, but Luke 9, 62. Some of you may know what this says. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here's the the truth in that. Fellow believer, if you've professed Christ, church member, we cannot follow the Lord effectively if we have divided interests. It is impossible. Like a farmer cannot look black plowing, we cannot have our interests divided. There are times in our lives where we must move on and not turn back. It may be moving to a new city. It may be starting a new job. It may be going to school and leaving home. It may be getting married. It may be losing a parent to death or a grandparent or a friend. But just like the Israelites who watched the raging river close behind them, we cannot return to the past. However, we can know that God is with us in the past and he'll be with us in the present. So, not only I think I've observed that that to encourage us in the present, but finally, to teach others in the future. And here's where we'll spend the remainder of our time. Verses 19 through 24. We read it just a moment ago, but let's read it once again. Verses 19 through 24. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. By the way, Gilgal means circle. And further definition of that city may mean circle of stones. And so it was on the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones. These men, can you imagine? I keep chasing rabbits, but can you imagine when Joshua was taking those 12 stones and putting them in the middle? How those guys, I'm I'm just thinking now. They may have some stones, and they see their leader getting some stones. I'm thinking, here's what I've done. Doggone, I picked up that little one. I'm going to put it down and pick up a bigger one because I'm all in because the guy leading me is worshiping. That's a takeaway. When people see you worship, they want to get in on it too, and they may go the further step. I mean, I can only imagine that maybe they had a stone. They see Joshua worshiping, and they said, that one's not big enough. I need to get this one. When you worship and people see it, when you're doing it with a genuine heart, they will be moved to a deeper level of commitment on their own. You, that's not my notes. I just, so somebody just write that down. That's, that's, that sounds good to me. Uh, I'll listen to it again, but that just sounds like it should be there. All right, so let's go on. So they, they have these stones. And in the verse, uh, where were we? Verse 21. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, 
What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord, your God, dried up the waters of the Jordan River until you had crossed over just as the Lord, your God, did to the Red Sea. He dried up before us until we had crossed over. Verse 24, once again. This is so that all the people of the earth may know, may know that the Lord's hand is mighty, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Genesis chapter 26, verse 4 says this, I will make your offspring, talking to Abraham, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. God gives us memorials of fearless living to teach our children and grandchildren. However, these memorials are also to be used as a witness to the world. Can you imagine going through Arlington Cemetery and we looked at gravestones and we saw one family there that it was on a freshly covered grave. That meant a lot to them. But I stood there and took it in. It witnessed to me. I don't know them. I did not meet them. I don't know where they are with the Lord. But it witnessed to me because that person had done something in their lives sacrificially that garnered them a spot in the National Cemetery at Arlington. So it witnessed to someone who did not know, even know what was going on. Listen, the memorials that we have in our lives not only are for our children and grandchildren, they are for the entire world to see. Can I say to you this morning that we have a better memorial than 12 stones? We have a better memorial than the Washington Monument. Although it's massive at 555 feet, it took 40 years to build. We have a more magnificent memorial than what Lincoln's statue is housed in at the end of the reflected pool. We have a more moving memorial than the Vietnam War Memorial. As moving as it is, we have a more moving memorial. We have a better memorial than the Korean Memorial. We have a more significant memorial than the World War II Memorial. It is called the living word of God. That is the memorial, and it points to the cross. That is the memorial that you and I should remember and maintain on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis. If we do not, we fail our children and our grandchildren, and we fail the world that God has placed us in to be the salt and light and the witnesses of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we have someone come up to us and ask us about that memorial, we need to be ready to give them an answer a lot like this one. We need to be ready to say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to be prepared in our heart to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to move on and unpack that memorial and remember it and maintain it by saying, but God proves in his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we need to move on and unpacking that memorial and saying, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. That is from Romans 10, chapter 
chapter 10, verse 19. And then we go on to say, and if they accept Christ as Savior, then we address them, now my brother and my sister, my newly formed family, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, 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 pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Church, when people ask about the memorial that we view as a cross, we need to be ready to share with them the truth of the gospel. Not some emotional feeling one time, but the absolute, unmitigated, unchanging truth of the Word of God. It's called the Romans Road. You can look through it out in that scripture. If we're not, we are not maintaining the memorial that God has given us in the pre-existence of Christ, the incarnation of Jesus, the life of our Lord, the death of our Savior, the resurrection of our King. If we do not share the gospel, we are not remembering the memorial of the cross and telling the truth of those things. Somebody say amen. That is how we teach others about the future. But I want to share with you just these three thoughts as we close. How wonderful, how magnificent would it be if we had it reported that the Canaanites, every one of them, upon seeing and hearing this great demonstration of God's power at the Jordan River, wouldn't it be wonderful to know they all repented like Rahab did when she heard about the Red Sea? Wouldn't it be wonderful that all of them came to faith and they trusted God? But they didn't. Like Pharaoh in Egypt, their fears soon hardened their hearts. Don't miss that. When we do not defeat fear with obedience, it's only a matter of time before our hearts will be hardened. They hardened their hearts against God and refused to acknowledge who He really was. How tragic. But, even more tragic, God's own chosen people, Israel, failed to remind their children of what God had done. No sooner had they settled in the land of flowing milk and honey then their memories began to fade. Even the memorial stones were forgotten by the majority in Israel. One of the most heartbreaking to me and sobering statements in all of Scripture is found in Judges chapter 2. At this moment, many years had passed since Israel crossed over Jordan and set up memorial stones in Gilgal. God had given them victory after victory after victory. After years of bondage and wilderness wandering, they settled into a land that they had freedom and peace and plenty. But something was happening to the people of Israel. Something that is almost unbelievable. Judges chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. How could this be? How could a people who had witnessed such incredible miracles ever forget them? The facts are they did. The parents in Israel failed to tell their children what God had done for them. 
and it continued to give the victories over the enemies. They failed to do that. Consequently, the children turned away from the Lord and did evil. Verse 12 of Judges 2. They forsook the Lord. Listen, they just didn't have a memory lapse. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked the Lord to anger. Write this down. When we fail to model and teach God's word, it only takes one generation for a degeneration to take place. I'll say it again. When we fail to model and teach God's word, mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, me, ma, papa, neighbor, whatever. When we fail to model and teach God's word, it only takes one generation for degeneration to take place. My goodness, all you have to look at is our, our culture and the country we live in. I mean, I, I still don't consider myself old and, unless I'm reminded how much older than I am and other people in our house. But I still don't consider myself old. But I can remember 25, 30 years ago, and the landscape looks totally different. If you were to take in me in, in, the, in the 80s and place me to now, it's just like this is not... It, Somebody's playing a trick. Certainly, it's not that bad. But we're like that frog in the kettle. God help us that we don't become accustomed to what's going on. We must be countercultural. We must stand and we must maintain the memorials God has given us. Secondly, and the last observation I have, and the last challenge, I guess, uh, it's not, not in your outline, but not only will we fail to model, to do, and to teach, God's word. It only takes one generation for a degeneration to take place. But lastly, the Bible teaches us we have tremendous responsibility in teaching our children biblical values. So here's the question that we'll leave and lead into invitation. What is happening in your home? I mean, it's an easy question. You can tell me. What is happening in your home? Listen, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect and have, you know, two hours of devotion every day and all these things. But what is happening? What is being seen? What is being lived? What will our children remember about us? Will they remember a beautiful home? It's always dusted and vacuumed. Always has fresh paint. Will they remember the best and biggest television? Will they remember a number of consoles that they have? We just don't have this one. We have that one too. And we have the wireless controllers to prove it. Will they remember really cool automobiles? Will they remember a certain vacation home possibly? Will they remember some kayaks or some boats or a camper? Will they remember maybe open-ended allowance and all the frantic efforts we put forth to accumulate and keep these possessions? Now, hear me. Don't misunderstand. God does not say that material things are wrong and out of the will of God. If they were, God wouldn't have given the children of Israel all the things mentioned in Deuteronomy 6 and 8. 
Abraham and Job, among many more, would be millionaires today, I, I, I dare say billionaires, by today's standards. So material things are not the issue. Listen closely, we're almost done. Material things are not the issue. Our attitude toward them is the issue. And our attitude toward God is the issue. The children of Israel became materialist. They took credit for their blessings, and eventually they turned away from God, and they turned to false gods, the gods of a pagan society. And in the process, they failed to teach their children their sacred history. So what about us? Do you have memorial stones? Literally and maybe figuratively. Do you even have any memorial stones that can remind us and our children of God's blessing? Pray with me if you would. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray now that you bind the enemy from us not hearing what you've said. Not what I've said. Or maybe not what our minds have gone to. But God, I pray in Jesus' name that the blood of our Savior wash over every mind and every heart in here. And God, that we would hear with a crystal clarity what you have spoken. And God, for your glory, I pray you find us obedient to respond. If that's responding, coming to the altar, then praise the Lord. But church, we all need to have a moment of response in our hearts because the Bible promises that, that the Word of God does not return void. So fight the fear. Do not allow hardness to come into your heart. If God is revealing something to you, lean into it and hear His sweet, grace, and mercy-filled voice calling us to a change. And Lord, it's upon that prayer that we ask you be magnified and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Look this way just for a moment. This is the part of service that we typically call an invitation. It is not meant to be awkward. It is not meant to be pressured. It is, it is designed and I'll be biblically set to be God-honoring. So if you feel God tugging at your heart, you respond as God is calling you to respond. This altar is open corporately to pray with one another or by yourself. Bob is on my left and Chase is on my right. They're available here. So here's the question. If you're saying, Chuck, I, I don't even know what the memorial of the cross means. I mean, I've been to church, but you, you mentioned those things from Romans. You talked about those, those parts of the life of Christ and, and, and how that is. I'm, I'm not sure what that means. What a great question. If you will come to one of us or if you'll look around, there's, there's people in here that can answer you. What I'm trying to say, we would love to introduce Christ to you and talk with you further about Him becoming your King in a supernatural relationship the redeemer of your soul. We would love that opportunity. If you're here today and you said, yeah, I'm, I hear what you're saying, I'm a believer, but I really don't have a church home. And we always say here, it's not a perfect church. I believe it's a good church. The moment it becomes perfect is when we're lying. 
It's not a perfect church. If you were looking for a church home, would you come talk to one of us either now or after the service? And we'll, we'll say, hey, this is, this is the process of how you can become a member of our family called Ridgecrest. For whatever reason, God is moving your heart. You respond in obedience to Him and Him only, okay? Is that agreed? So let's all stand together and you move as God moves you.